Hello, Latinos in Clinical Research. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to our monthly webinar. If you're watching the replay and you don't know how we're doing this, you just need to subscribe to our email list. So go to latinosinclinicalresearch.com, put your email address in there. We don't spam you. Uh, I don't have enough time to spam. All right. We have to, we don't, we barely even get the emails out on time as it is. So we're not going to spam you. <laughs> just put your email in there. You're going to be able to do these live calls once a month, or you can always watch the replay like you are now or listen. We've got um, a special episode today with doctor. We have Dr. Fox, Dr. Valverde, Dr. Al Jazeera. We might have uh, some more doctors through here. We're going to talk clinical research, Latin America, um, and physicians. So with all that being said, uh, Dr. Fox, how's it going? going great. It's going great, Dan. Happy day to everyone, and I'm glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Can you tell us, and this will be a good segue to Dr. Valverde, why, as an American in Illinois, right, like literally the middle of the country, do you want to expand into Latin America? What do you see there that others haven't yet? Oh, my gosh. I see so much power into Latin America for clinical research. One, I fully believe in diversity. I just I just posted something on LinkedIn. It got me frustrated about someone looking for a trial for one of the inclusions where you had to speak English. It just infuriates me to see that kind of closed-mindedness. It's frustrating. Sorry. Um, we need, as clinical research, to come together as a unit, as a world, to bring clinical research to the forefront to develop technologies that will help everyone. And if we work into Latin America, if we work together, we can increase enrollment and seriously expedite the translation of research into our industry. And so Dr. Valverde hears you and has been doing this for decades. Dr. Valverde, what do you think about this? And, and how's business over there for you? Thank you. Thank you. That always my pleasure to join your, your meetings. No, I couldn't agree more, you know, so, so I think in Latin America, we have so many different populations and so many opportunities to run clinical trials and to obtain really interesting results. And uh, also as a physician, you would like to understand that you're training your patients with a medication or a, or a medicinal product that was tested in your population. You know, it's, it's really important to understand that and to assume and to have in mind that you're training the patients with something that's going to really help them. And I, I, I kind of enjoy that this is something that is really moving forward in, in the world, in, I mean, the whole country and the whole world, I mean, and that you guys in Latinos in clinical research think that this is really important to consider and to work with. And, uh, and I think this is really important for the whole population in the world and for the whole scientific community. And it's really interesting to see people from the United States also trying to focus in other countries and find out how we can collaborate and to help all these new products to get to the market. Mm -hmm. What's your experiences? What have your experiences been? I mean, are they very similar? You know, I, I interviewed a, a site owner from Argentina, one who does really well actually a few months back. And his main complaint was, you know, he said, you think you have it bad in the U.S. when you can't get paid. At least you have like you have an argument here. 
we just have to take what we get and if they don't pay us they don't pay it like have what's been your experience as far as like sponsors maybe um, taking advantage or maybe not taking advantage maybe that's not the right word but like when it comes to treating funny. treating you fairly well so is, is, is for me the question is for me then <laughs> yeah yeah for you yeah for you and then um we'll we you know we can get dr fox and dr al on there too so so my experience you know i've been working with i mean i've been managing i have managed sites before in the area of ophthalmology and I have, I mean, as a side, and I also work as a CRO, as you know, for medical devices. So, so I don't think that there is any advantage. I mean, no one's taking advantage. That's that's my experience. Someone else could say something different, but I don't see there is any someone taking advantage of us here. I mean, there's yeah. some proposals in the middle, and you just decide if you want to work with it or not. But my experience is that the numbers are just fine, you know. And with uh, medical devices. Uh, I think things are, you know, we work with smaller companies and the uh, processes, the internal processes, the budgeting, the co uh, the contracting and all these processes way quicker than with, with big companies that work in several countries. And I think uh, I think this process is a little bit different, but I, I couldn't say that I have had a bad experience with, you know, contracting and budgeting with, with my sponsors. I wouldn't say that. I wonder what's the issue because I just it just dawned on me, you know, when Dr. Fox was talking earlier and um, on LinkedIn, his post uh, in regards to sponsors want more diversity, but then they don't translate their consent forms. Um, if we're doing these studies in Latin America already, don't they have these forms already translated? So what's the issue? So I don't so, think it's so much those studies, right? So what I, what I would say is that you know, as talking as a CRO, you have to work with the sponsor and you have to get like the, every single document. And you know, every country has a different regulation, and and we, obviously we ha we have to work with clinical with good clinical practice. So we take care of that. We do the translations. We adapt it to be compliant with local regulations and with GCP. And I mean, it's not an issue for us. Dr. Al, what do you think? You do oncology studies over there in LA, can't be in a more diverse city. Um, what are you thinking? Are you there? It's only dark. Can you hear me, guys? There we go. There yeah. we go. Dr. Al Jazari, <laughs> yes, everybody. World Can famous oncologist. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but mainly I, I don't have any problem with the with with the with the company that I work with and their payment uh, or their system, it may delay a little bit, but I have no problem as Dr. Voldar said. What What about with the translating? Translate, or Judy, feel, feel free to jump in, Judy, but like translating yeah. the ICFs into Spanish, any issues? No, I usually, most, most probably I get it from, I. We need to submit it to the IRB and then IRB approve and the company will provide it for us. We don't do it ourselves. Have to go through the company. All my Spanish uh, ICF and everything is through the company. Okay. Yeah, and just to add to that, if that's okay, if I can add something, um, sorry to interrupt. Um, but I think my experience too, I think similar to Dr. Alan, uh, Dr. Valverde, is if the study is outside of the US, like it's in the US and in Latin America, no issues. They have Spanish materials, yes, we have it. But it's more the studies located in the US. 
So only US-based studies where they tend to sometimes have this criteria where they have one of the criteria only English-speaking participants, or if they do allow Spanish, it takes months and months and months to get everything translated. And you know, I've even offered to do it ourselves through a third-party person. Nope, it has to go through IRB, that has to go to who knows some exactly. vendor. Yeah, and it takes forever. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I actually have a question in regards to that. If, for example, if a sponsor is doing a study internationally and is already doing things in Latin America, why is it so difficult to use all those translated documents in the United States? Is that because of regulations or...? Are you? Um, I, I personally haven't had issues with that, Monica. If they already have the Spanish materials, um, we usually can use them. I mean, it's not an issue because it's already been translated. It's more the studies in the U.S. where they don't have the materials, but they say they allow Spanish speakers. And so that's the issue of the process sometimes or one in a few studies where they actually exclude Spanish speakers. And it specifically states English speaking participants only in the yeah. criteria. That's one of the criteria. Yeah. Yeah. Or you get the other variant that I have now. It says, oh, yeah, you know, well, we have the English ICF approved. The Spanish one's going to take a while. So in the meantime, just translate it with them, you know, and it's like a lot <laughs> easier said than done. And we're still right. waiting. It's like That's three months, three months <laughs> of enrolling. We're still waiting for the Spanish consent. So, I mean, yeah. all three of our patients so far have been Spanish only. And we've been mm -hmm. using the English consent. So um, it's just priorities, I think. You know, I think a lot of um, lip service is paid to this topic because sponsors feel like they have to um, because it's important. But I think when they put their money where their mouth is, I mean, they it's not that hard to pull this off. Like, it's not like um, we're, we're trying to go to Mars. Dr. Al, by the way, oh, if you have questions, guys, put them in the chat or raise your hand. We can talk. Jesse Molina says, is the Spanish-speaking IRB required to confirm English to Spanish translation? Yeah. Um, what do you think? Dan, what is this AI now in your uh, Zoom meeting? Wow. Oh, yeah. We have <laughs> AI. Welcome to 2023. The AIs join us <laughs> oh, in the meetings. Oh, my gosh. We have no privacy. They live with us. They're going to know what we're going to say soon, like better wow. than we do. <laughs> you, you pull up the prizes, Dan. <laughs> it's, it's just to catch you up. I have so many transcripts. By the way, Dr. Al, he's a member of uh, Clinical Research Circle. He's our, one of our founders and one of our founders of Latinos in Clinical Research. And we got a surprise for you. We have the what? SOS conference next year in Tucson, February. You got to you gotta go. February 2nd, 2024, where? Tucson, Arizona, where they would not take me into med school back in the day. You got to come. All right. Uh, we have 160 tickets sold so far. Oh, my God. So far. Only in like two weeks. No, not even two weeks. Not even. I'll be there, Dan. I hope so, Dr. Al. I'm going to call you. Oh. I was going to call you tomorrow. Um, yep. And you ready, Dan? You ready for this surprise? Yeah. More surprise. We have, we have 26 sponsors signed up to help. Wow. 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 We're going to need AI to figure out how to price them. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> exactly. so, 
for everyone out there who, who signed up to sponsor, it means a lot that we haven't even gotten materials out and you're, you want to help this cause. That tells me that this is something that everyone really wants in this industry. Wow. It's, it's called Save Our Sites, Dr. L. Save Our Sites. What is Save Our Sites? Save like like a lifeguard. You know, uh, yeah, we're drowning. Well, I, 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 I get the, the email about it. Yes, I get the email. SOS. Save our sites. You're one of the yes. founders. Don't worry about the email. You're in it already. Just <laughs> we got it. We got this. <laughs> we got this. Now that we're talking about sites, I wanted to ask Dr. Valverde about the sites in Colombia. Um and, and the regulations, is that similar than in United States, like the, the regulations or how is that regulated? So that way people understand or, or organizations here in United States understand how the processes are in Colombia. Yes, Monica. So, so the thing is that in Colombia, uh, the government has created a structure for sites to be uh, extremely qualified. I mean, the quality of clinical trials run in Colombia has to be really high because it's not just a guideline or recommendation, because but because it's the law. So when you open a clinical research site in Colombia, you have to follow. I mean, if you're going to run studies for pharmaceuticals, you have to be compliant with the resolution, with this, which is basically a checklist of quality requirements and SOPs and trainings and forms and a lot of things that has to be aligned in order for you to conduct safe studies for your patients and to conduct you know high quality studies and so this regulation makes sure that you have a very good uh, ethics committee a very good uh, research office uh, a very good uh, clinical laboratory and a pharmaceutical service so like the most important areas that you have to consider when you're running clinical trials and basically, this uh, resolution, which is the a law, is based on on the good clinical practice guidelines. So, so basically, we took a recommendation and we made it a law. And once you open a site and you want to be compliant with it, you have to work. I mean, you have to work really hard to be compliant with this and to you know to be able to to get approval for running clinical trial like this. And in Colombia, we have around 130 sites that are already complying with this. And we have a very well-structured industry on clinical trials that been, has been running studies for over 20 years, I think. And, and this regulation has been in place since 2008. So during the 15, last 15 years, our sites have been complying with this uh, law. So, so yeah, this is a very well-structured industry in Colombia, very, regulated but very qualified and uh you know very well experienced I, I now that you mentioned the sites and i remember the other day we were talking about the study coordinators the clinical research coordinators that are i mean the 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 qualifications in colombia are very different than what it is here i would like you to share a little bit about that too yes yeah, so if you want to be a clinical research coordinator you have to be a healthcare professional it doesn't matter which one. I mean, you have to be, you can be like a, a nurse, obviously a, a bacteriologist. You can be a physical therapist. Uh, any, any, this one of these professions that uh, is related to healthcare has, I mean, you need to be one of them if you want to be a coordinator in Colombia. Doesn't mean that you cannot get a position in a clinical research office if you're not a health, healthcare professional. 
But if you want to you know, like manage patients, we're going to talk to them and you want to do any kind of procedure or even a, a simple questioning, uh, you must be a, a healthcare professional. But what I've seen is that we have the sites that are including like managerial positions or administrative positions for clinical research is increasing because they, you know, they are increasing also the amount of work and the number of clinical trials and they need a lot of support, not only to manage patients, but also to manage all the documents and be compliant with regulations and all this. So I think uh, in this sense, the industry is growing in, in different positions, which is always good for a country and for the industry of clinical trials in Colombia. And, and uh, for example, for somebody to become a, uh, a clinical research coordinator, let's say a nurse that wants to become a clinical research coordinator in Colombia, what they do, like they take a class, they have to get a certification to be a clinical research coordinator, or they just apply and if they get the opportunity to work in one of these sites, they get trained in the site. What I've seen is that it's basically a clinical research office that is already experienced and they have, they have coordinators that have been running studies for a while. They get a new one and they train them by themselves. Obviously, some, sometimes they take online courses and you know the GCP certificates and all this, but basically it's the same team, the internal team that trains the new one. Uh, I think this is why what you're doing is so important for, for sites, I mean, in the whole Latin American uh, region. And this is very important for the industry. That's what I think. Yeah. Mm, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's also a very interesting point to create a program in Spanish. <laughs> Yeah, that's what we discussed a few days ago, and I think uh, I think we need that because, as as we've mentioned before in other conference we had with you, uh, I think there's there's a lot of opportunities uh, to to create new positions in the clinical industry in Colombia, uh, but maybe there's a lack of knowledge of these multiple activities that someone can, you know provide or perform for a clinical trial. And most, many of them are not related. I mean, are not doesn't have to be uh, done by a healthcare professional, but I think the, you know, the training and the insights of any other professionals can really help uh, the industry and the management of a clinical trial in a clinical research office. So, so this is something that I'm really, you know, I always think about that and I think as a CRO, you would like to understand how you can position new people and to, to help you uh, to develop new services to conduct smoother clinical trials in our countries and make our countries more attractive to run clinical trials for the big sponsors. You know? Hey, Dr. Valverde, question for you and for Dr. Al. What are you on the science side, okay? What are you most excited about as far as what you've been seeing, new innovations? from the science front, could be from anything that, um, whether it's devices or any indications really. So so I would say, because I'm all, mostly on devices, this is really interesting. As I was mentioned before in another conference, uh, I worked a lot of in, in ophthalmology and we used to have like years ago, we used to have, you know, intraocular lenses when you had a cataract, when you get old, and they, they, they remove your lens and they put a new one. 
and 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 before it was only you know they were monofocal that you you could only use it for one distance then they use they created the bifocal the trifocal and now they they accommodate they work as your own lens so you can create your near intermediate and distant view vision with a single lens that works like your the one that you were born with so these are things that are really improving the quality of life of people with, you know, wow. vision programs. And wow, this is, that's very really exciting. exciting. Yeah, oh, that's very exciting. Yeah. Yes, and, and the other one that I mentioned before is the one that I'm working right now is that when you had a stroke like 20 years ago, when you had a clot in your brain, it was like, in at least in Latin America, you need to stay the rest of your life in a wheelchair, you know, in a in a rocking chair because there was nothing else to do. I mean, you lost most of your neurological control, and now they have these catheters that they put in you to your brain. They capture the clot, they take it out, and then you go home. And you know, this it has reduced the mortality in around a twenty percent of. I mean, compared when we didn't have it before. So, wow, I'm going to be moving to Colombia. <laughs> no, we did run don't have studies, studies you know, for America. We're running studies for American companies, so this is. I know, but it's know. not done here. Dan, Dan, I'm I'm gonna have to go here, but if, if that's okay, um, as far as science goes, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you all might know, but I had a daughter who died of a terminal illness, a pretty bad metabolic disorder. And kind of for personal reasons, I think I'm really excited about watching CRISPR grow through clinical research. CRISPR is going to come through and it's going to change a lot. And for all of those who have the rare diseases, kind of some of the really difficult metabolic diseases to have through clinical trials, I think that you're going to see it really influence a lot of what we do. Yeah, no, that's, um, yeah, I, I'm aware. And I think uh, for those that are um, wanting to learn more about Dr. Fox, you can check his LinkedIn underneath the show notes um, once the video is up. But yeah, CRISPR for sure. I've been a investor. I, I lost most of my investment, but it's I'm still holding it. Dr. Al, don't worry. I still have CRISPR therapeutics and my stocks. We're, we're hoping for the best. Jennifer Me Doudna. <laughs> we're betting on Doudna, the Nobel Prize winner. Let's go. I am. I, they, I, they I, I, I trust in them. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with Dr. Fox. I think also I'm expanding my research for do the cellular uh, therapies and uh, genetic therapy, and yeah. uh, my for oncology because there is a lot of uh, expanding clinical trial now for oncology and genetics and also in CRISPR and all these kind of uh, uh, cell lines. So. I think this is also the future where it's going to be the clinical trial in oncology, mainly gene, uh, gene therapies gene and vaccines. That's the biggest advance in, um, in oncology? Yeah, there is a lot of trials now in oncology for gene therapy and uh, vaccines. And the vaccines are kind of a misnomer, right? Because it's not a vaccine in the traditional sense. It's a no, vaccine, the vaccine for certain type of cells, and uh, they go against cancer cells and try to work uh, to target these uh, kind of target therapy with, but with the vaccine. 
Yep. Yeah. They do it, they do it for breast cancer, for prostate cancer. Now they're very successful. In See you, Dr. Two. Fox. Yes. Hey guys. CRPN. Dr. Fox sent a study. He sends a lot of oncology studies, Dr. Al. You guys need to connect. Mm -hmm. Um, I think oh. I already connected you guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, nice yeah I think we had one uh, study small cell line cancer already connected with, but looking forward to see more studies from his side. If you have any vaccine studies or anything, he needs to uh, more sites. I'm more than happy to see if I have the ability and the capacity to do it. Dr. Al, the cancer vaccines, I know this is like a huge growth area, but um, a lot of people for different reasons don't like that word anymore. And but it's not that's why I brought it up. It's like a misnomer. The the vaccine and the oncology, it's to prevent recurrent, right? It's not to um prevent not to it treat original, yes. Yeah. To reduce it's a, to reduce a complication mainly at this point, it's not really uh, perfected hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So it's more like a therapy than a vaccine, but um yeah. I'm actually excited about that too. And back to CRISPR, guys. Like the <laughs> the problem with the from what I understand, the problem with CRISPR is like finding the right cell, how to deliver it to the cells it's supposed to go to. And well, they, they, I think they, they they have the model now for sickle cell and for thalassemia, and they've yeah. been very successful with that. Where they're finding the target, as long as they have a target gene, okay, I think they can work on it and they can modify it and they can fix it. Okay, but in, in cancer in general, the, usually there is, if you look at the gene mechanism for cancer, it is, sometimes it can involve more than 100 genes. That's why the CRISPR is not really, cannot target that things because it's, it's like a lot of receptor, a lot of uh, uh, small molecules that's uh, manipulated by different genes that's so, we still in the beginning of the field, but they, they're hoping that they can get there soon. Yeah. And I know, uh, the, yeah, the blood, you're a hematologist also. So in the blood, the blood illnesses are the easiest as far as um, giving the, the therapy, right? You just put it in the blood. As long as, there is, as long as there is one gene involved, like sickle cell or thalassemia, it's easier to, to treat with the CRISPR. Yeah. Okay. Once it starts getting complicated, the CRISPR... At this point, they cannot handle it. Maybe now with the AI, they can create more stuff uh, incorporating, which they're trying also, if you read in, in, in the new magazine about incorporating AI with the gene therapy and CRISPR and all this stuff. So we don't know what the future is going to have for us. Yeah. Yeah, I think AI is going to transform the whole world of you. I mean, I don't think we, know, we all know that that's going to happen. <laughs> well, the broader implication, really, I mean, we know technology and medicine is if it keeps advancing, you know, it's going to, it's going to produce exponential outcomes. The, the thing is that I'm worried about that could slow it all down is social issues. Like, I mean, who's going to pay for it because these studies are getting more complex. They're taking longer. It's harder to get the patients. Everything's increasing. There's a shortage of CRAs and CRCs. So that means governments have to pay for these drugs when it's out. And these drugs are like 10 times the price of existing treatments that are already on the market. So if anything slows it down, it's going to be these like costs. It's not going to be 
the technology itself. That's what worries me the most is the who's going to pay for this stuff. And it's not like our industry is getting more efficient. It's actually getting less efficient. And they're trying to do more with less. So all it's going to take is one government or one large payer to say, hey, we we see that you have this new treatment, um, but we're not going to pay it because it's only incremental benefits to the ones already out. And they're 10 Dan, times less. Yeah. Dan. The drug companies are smarter, much smarter than the governments. Okay? Yeah. Sorry to say, to say that, but now for rare diseases, one of the drugs, it costs $1 million to treat one patient. Yeah. So <laughs> the company, they don't have any problem by pricing it to the price they want, and whoever have the money will, will have the treatment. So the drug company, they, they will do their research, they will price the drugs, and the government take it or leave it. They will put it for the government, take it or leave it. You have this population, we have this treatment, you want it, we'll give it to you. We'll kind of discount you 10%, 5%, but I don't think we're gonna lower the price because now there is in the American market medication for $1 million for a certain type of rare disease. What, $1 what million. Does that, what does that same drug cost like in Latin America? Or do I they get know. access to it or do they not? I don't know, I don't know. But I, I've been reading about, uh, there is like this journal that comes to me. It's rare disease uh, treatment and research and like this. It's, it's, it's $1 million for, for treatment. There's wow. certain drugs in oncology that cost $250,000 every month. Wow. T-cell therapy. So, you T-cell, know, there is... T-cell therapy, CAR-T? Yeah, yeah CAR-T. Yeah. The new ones and everything, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the new drug Manju for lymphoma came out here in the United States, just approved like about a couple of months ago, and it's like three hundred thousand dollars for a course of treatment of lymphoma patients who have recurrence. So, wow. So the the the, the companies and they're marketing it, and the doctors are using it, okay, in big institution because they don't have alternative for it. What about in Colombia, Doctor Valverde? These prices are they this high? Uh, uh, you're in your doctor. Sorry, I wouldn't be able to discuss like any specific treatment or the way that uh, it's covering Colombia or, or the price that we manage. But yeah, in Colombia, we have, you know, the Ministry of Health. They have an office that is the Institute for the Economic Evaluation of Healthcare Technologies. And, you know, includes medications, devices, and whatever we use to treat patients. And, uh, and they have these guidelines that you know, if there's already a treatment in the market, they're gonna do a specific comparison doing economic evaluations and they will decide which one they will include in the government list of treatments and which one they're, they're not gonna include. And for a specific uh, uh, treatment, uh, I mean, for a specific patient in a healthcare insurance company, every insurance company has their own uh, board that reviews, you know, all the, uh, scientific information and the economic evaluation and they get to a conclusion and they decide if they're going to treat this patient with this uh, product or not. So so it's it's mm-hmm. not that that easy. And, the, and on the other side, there recently in the last few years, there was a new resolution or, or law in Colombia that is regulation, regulating the prices of a lot of medications in Colombia. So 
we, what we saw as a not as a healthcare professional is that one some of the medications that they used to take they came to 50% of the regular price something like that or some of them so we have a very specific process in Colombia I mean the government has it to decide how to include and how to provide our patients with these really expensive medications huh what about like the GLP-1 craze over there like the um... The diabetic drugs being used off label for weight loss, like uh, Ozempic. Over here, they're going crazy. Diabetics can't find their Trulicity or their Ozempic because everyone's buying it cash for weight loss. Do you know how much is it for weight loss? How much is, is the one amp for uh, the buying it of the market? Cash? Cash? No. $1,500. Fifteen hundred bucks for a month or for like one dose? No, no, for a month because the, the vial come back, uh, come in with like about ten ml or something, and you do it as wow. two point four every week. Wow! I mean, we're getting we're getting a study in obesity, GLP one, all these GLP one receptor agonists. That's what's hot right now because somebody they're one the first one that gets it approved. FDA is going to approve it, but then they're going to start looking at. No, there is, there is like now Ozempic is approved uh, for weight loss. And what, uh, what's the name of it? Another uh, GLP one is approved for weight loss. Trulicity. So there's the name of the GLP one uh, is approved for weight loss. It's not, uh, and there is a lot of, uh, of uh, what the generic type of uh, uh, GLP one in the market already. They've been sold, selling it to the approved by FDA to be marketed. The injections or the, or the or the pill? Injections. injections, injections. There is a pill approved for weight loss also, but I don't remember the name of it. I've been, I, I went over it uh, one time to see about the clinical trials, but I didn't get any clinical trial. I applied for a couple. Wait, of is them. that the the only one? I, though is that fentramine? No, 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 no. Oh. It's a GMP one. Oh, GMP one. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, 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 no not fentramine or anything okay. like this. Okay. Yeah, it'll be interesting because, I mean, how many? Okay, let's say Ozempic's approved for obesity and there's another one. Let's say it's Trulicity. I don't know which one it is. Manjaro. Thank you, Dr. Carl, uh, Carlos Levia. So what? when is the FDA or these payers insurance companies going to say, hey, Okay, if we get 10 more GLP-1s approved, I mean, and each one is 10 times more than the other one, like, they're not going to pay for it. My, so, my, 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 my patient in Kaiser, the getting approved for this, if they, said, if they meet certain criteria for obesity, and they're paying 25 bucks for their medication. And they're doing their self-injection at home. Wow. So it is uh, it is in the market already. It is approved in the market, and there's certain companies there. Their insurance is they're paying it. They're twenty five bucks, and uh, Kaiser getting the 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 rest uh, for the insurance. So, so you're yeah. not worried. You're not worried about the future of research, like being slowed down by payers. No, 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 no. Be because okay. uh, you know the medical cost here in America is three trillion and going up. So you know 
the government is paying for everything and the insurance is paying and the consumer is paying. So it's a cycle that's going in. And as long as there is good medication for consumer, consumer will pay and will push the government and the insurance will increase the price and consumer will go for that. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not worried about the prices here. Plus, we have okay. the baby boomers. I know baby, baby baby boomers are gone now. You know they're not using the GLP one or anything. Now you have the the new generation that they care about this uh, these things more, much more than the baby boomers. Baby boomers are gone now. You know, baby boomers <laughs> are, are, are are fading, fading now. Now you have the X generation and the Gen X Z like generation. Summer. And the Gen X. Yeah, and the Z and the Alpha Z and the Alpha, all of them that are coming now, and they are the one who's <laughs> who's, who's leading the the market. The the, the baby boomer, not anymore. Baby <laughs> boomer only for elderly now for research. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm but they're not top of that. But we also have uh, I mean many, many uh, uh, younger generations like Gen Z and X and all of that. Uh, getting a lot of metabolic conditions, right? So that yeah. is leading to different. Happens for everybody, you know. So especially, I think the 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 direction of disease, direction of uh, trial will be different for this new generation because of their social media and their uh, less activity, and a lot of things can happen. And you know, we'll see how the market gonna go. So we got Dr. Hazen who joined us late. I told you doctors will be coming in and out. Dr. Hazen is working on gut biome research. Hey, Dr. Where? Hazen, how are you? Hey, I'm still standing. Look at that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you, you're such an... You, you know what? I've, I've been reading about these all this uh, mycobacteria and like all this in in different diseases, and now they're talking about Parkinson and mycobacteria and the gut treatment for it in the gut. You should have listened to me from the beginning when I said because I'm and, a and big I get mouth. Like, You know what? I get two studies for uh, checking stool bacteria in immunotherapy. Yes. Well, we already the have the answer that. to that. I know, but, but 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 in the beginning when I uh, when I like a year ago I got it and about checking the stool bacteria for the immunotherapy and how that affect the the gut bacteria on the immunotherapy and resistant for immunotherapy. Interesting. It's very interesting, but you know what's happening? You're feeding the venture capitalists some data so they can create some stool tests that should be given to the rest of the doctors for free. It's like a hemoglobin. Could you imagine if hemoglobin was private? Wow. Right? So when you're doing these tests for companies, you're basically, you know, keeping all that private for them so they could develop an example of colo advantage, right? When you do colo advantage, you have no idea what they're seeing in the stools. That's example of colon cancer. That shouldn't be uh -huh. private, right? It should be the doctor no, should not. know. Yeah. Right? So... My interest is getting the doctors involved so they know when they look at a stool sample, what is colon cancer, what is Parkinson's, what is Alzheimer's, and it's not private. The doctors understand the microbiome because you guys are left in the, you know, in the blind. 
And then what happens? COVID hits and you have no idea what's the microbiome or what is immunity in the gut because you don't know because everything is top secret now. I, I think we need we need to uh, we need to make bigger book. Let's talk shit uh, for all the doctors. <laughs> about, uh, I about agree. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not, Dr. Dr. Al will be your next co-author, Dr. Hazen. Like, I'm not joking because it is kind of very interesting, like reading it and finding all these new things now, finding it on the on the stool. It's something uh, amazing. I know. I've been at it for a while now. I mean, uh, oh, no. now you're uh, one of the pioneers in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in this field. Yes, you could say I'm the queen of shit. <laughs> this is this is probably the time that we have the most amount of doctors in in a, in in a webinar, we have doctors from Colombia, we, yes. from Honduras. Introduce Dr. Yes. Hazen and Dr. Valverde, please, because they can do research in Colombia. Yeah. Dr. Hazen's interested in Latin America. She's been talking about yeah. it to me nonstop. What's what are you interested in? Well, guess what? We are coming with a marker for Parkinson's. We're going to be doing an animal study that's proving the microbes that are behind Parkinson's. See. Uh, we are doing Alzheimer's. We're doing colon cancer. If you have any colon cancer patients, send them our way so we can test our stools. Um, my interest is basically instead of the traditional, you know, principal investigator, I'm including all the doctors, part of my biome squad. So you can see the data yourself. You can educate yourself on the microbiome and you can treat these patients because ultimately these patients are going to come to you. You need to understand how to treat them by manipulating the microbes without having to do fecal transplant. That's the goal. Maybe you can, yeah, maybe you can add, add my email and, and just send me, send me some emails. And if you have like the testing kit you want, uh, I have colon cancer patient. I have quite few patients that I can send you their stools. I ask them to the to collect their stool and send it to you if you want to. Just uh, forward for me the kits for the stool. Yeah, we send you, it's easy. It's a card. It's like they have a QR code. They, it links them up to the consent, everything they sign. They send, they, they sign the consent. We, we co-sign and then basically they get a kit at the house. Super easy. But I can have Dan connect okay. them. And, and basically you could be part of us, 100%. No problem. Yeah. Because I want. Yeah, I'm more than happy to help you in any in any type of cancer you want to to help, yeah. and even in other disease that I'm doing research on. More than happy to help you. Perfect, Doctor Hayson. Uh, Doctor Leiva is saying that there is a good cohort for gut biome studies in Honduras, major gastro MD center. I can nice. connect you with them too. That here. We have here like I I think like probably five or six. Uh, doctors from Honduras, all of them have been students from the CRC Academy learning more about research. I mean, the industry way to do research, right? Not, not the um, educational kind of research. So this, the, I can connect you with all of these doctors around Latin America and obviously Dr. Valverde, who also owns a CRO in Colombia. Whatever nice, we can nice. do for you, we'll be more than glad. Ah, uh, that'd be awesome. Way. Perfect. This way we can like have the world participate. And, you know, because the problem is this, you know, what we've seen with all the clinical trials and what we're seeing is a direct attack of doctors. 
they're trying to get us out of the way so they can have a clinic. You're seeing these Amazon clinics that are coming out now. So the, the art of medicine, the practice of medicine is disappearing. So if we don't take it back and we don't collaborate together, we're going to lose medicine. Yeah, I agree. I think um, the silence is telling. I mean, I know for a fact, you know, when we started this this webinar, uh, we talked about Walgreens trying to do clinical research. Uh, we know Kaiser is big into clinical research now. Amazon is getting into clinical research, not just the treatment. They're taking it even a step further, Dr. Hazen. They're going to the research. They're going full end-to-end -end spectrum. What do you CBS think about this? And Walmart, CBS and Walmart too. <laughs> yeah, while you're at it, 7-Eleven can do it also. When I get my big gulp, <laughs> I could get a, a, a Manjaro to go Some in my big gulp. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and why even do clinical trials now? You've seen with the vaccines for kids, you know? Why even bother doing clinical trials? You do it on mice, you can go straight to kids, you know? The world is changing. And if we don't step up and speak out and basically raise you know awareness on safety and be vigilant we have lost we're going to be lost as patients you realize i'm in youtube jail right uh we, i can't afford another strap another strike this one will be oh. latinos in research uh no we don't have we're clean latinos in research is clean we don't have um any strikes actually so we can get one or two but the, what, what does you? it you got where you what happened you got removed from youtube for two weeks but uh if i get oh one more strike I, i'm permanently deleted but Why? it won't, it won't happen i'm not sure honestly uh i think as somebody was somebody flagging some old videos that um i talked about and one of them i talked about covid on another one i defended pfizer believe it or not i got wow. a strike for that but i mean it's like, what do you think about Latin America? Because you said something interesting when you were in Mexico. Okay. You said over there, uh, there's not this vaccine hesitancy, right? Can you just kind of right. explain a little bit about what you observed? No, it's went? actually, it was the opposite in Mexico. They want to get vaccinated because they feel that the government is holding back on them from the vaccine. And because so, they're seeing all these celebrities getting vaccinated and they want to feel like they want to be American. So it's the opposite. <laughs> Dr. Valverde is laughing. <laughs> Without getting canceled, what do you think about this, Dr. Valverde? About vaccination in general, I mean, what I've seen in the last years is that, that trend to question it. I mean, as, as you've seen worldwide, I mean, in the last, I mean, before that, you got all your shots or your vaccine without questioning anything, which we, it was just simple and plain language that you needed it and, you know, you just got it. But in the last few years, we've, I mean, you will agree in any other country, we're seeing people that is questioning the use of vaccines with no scientific background at all which makes it really difficult because I think people spreading the, this idea of not getting vaccines to other people that just go along with it without getting proper guidance by a healthcare professional. And you know, a vaccine is not only good for yourself, but for all your population. So 
So, so I think it's kind of concerning. I'm not sure if we're seeing results of this new trend, but this can change in the short term and it's kind of concerning. I think I think myself the vaccine of covid changed all this in my opinion. I think the rapidity of doing clinical trials on these vaccines for covid this new technology that nobody really knew anything about is making everybody question every other vaccine and probably even questioning clinical trials to be quite honest. Yep. Um you know I think you know, we demonstrated because I don't believe this vaccine is the same as every other vaccine. This is a new technology. It's a messenger RNA. And we demonstrated actually at the American College of Gastro that the vaccines affect the microbiome and it actually kills your bifidobacteria, your bifidobacteria, which is supposed to be your immunity, right? Which is the trillion dollar industry of probiotics. So this was presented at the American College of Gastro in October. And it actually won a best award at the American College of Gastro. So 18,000 doctors saw this data that the messenger RNA affects the microbiome. And that basically got doctors questioning and patients questioning. And unfortunately, when you have these questions with these new technology of vaccines, it kind of puts a question on all vaccines, unfortunately, and, and questions on all of pharma. What we've seen in the happen in the last three years in clinical trials is definitely not what we usually see in clinical trials, right, Dan? I mean, yeah. lack of consenting. So lack in this of book, in this book, which I'm reading, I highly recommend everyone read it if you can see it. I don't know, you can't see it because of my background. Here it is: breakthrough to blockbuster. Right? It's saying the last two, the last three decades. 80% of the innovations have been recombinant DNA technology and monoclonal antibodies. That's like 80% of the new approvals in the last like three decades are mainly those two categories. So now this mRNA, yeah, it's a new platform, whole new platform, right? But we've only done what, like a few studies on it and the right. industry is quick to want to jump on it without doing the appropriate testing. Um, just like we spent three decades studying these things, recombinant right. DNA technology. And don't tell me the technology is faster so that the clinical trials can be shortened because we all work in this industry and we know it's not efficient in our industry whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, without getting canceled more, can we <laughs> do... So microbiome in Latin America, you have been interested in this region yes. why why latin america and like where specifically well i think pretty much every region i'm i'm really interested in the microbiome of latin america of people living in latin america versus people that are that have moved from latin america to america to basically see the differences you know are we you know are people in latin america maybe healthier when they were living in latin america versus moving to america and then changing their microbiome and being yes. less healthy right globalization in a way of the microbiome you know let's let's I, talk I believe, about that yeah As a so GI, I, what do you think i i believe we're all born in a certain region with our certain microbes and we eat the foods of that region and that really is what creates our health. And then when we change from the region and we don't adapt very well or we change our diet, 
um, we change our diversity and potentially that could be creating diseases. And then the question becomes, do, does the next generation now suffer from a, a loss of diversity that I've gained from moving from a country that was, you know, full of microbes to a country that is basically cleaned off half my microbes. And now I'm giving my kids half my microbes. And do they have an ability to survive? Or is this the reason that we have an increase in autism, for example, right? So, or uh, increase in, in cancer, Parkinson's, et cetera. So there's definitely a loss of microbes that is occurring around the planet, in my opinion. Uh, and that probably predisposed us to having COVID to begin with. But also, yeah. I think this mixture of microbes, you know, the tomatoes from, you know, Guatemala in America in December, should we really be eating this tomatoes in December in New York City? You know what I mean? Um, should we, you know, if you look at the European culture, they tend to stick to fruits and vegetables of the region at the time. You know, you ask for tomatoes in December in France and they'll look at you crazy because they'll say, well, that, we, you know, it's not in season. So I think we really need to go back and, and kind of keep microbes at a certain area. You know, there's some islands that if you bring a fruit to the island, they don't let you in. So I, I think we need to go back to just, you know, giving a priority to the different microbes of the different regions. And I think the study of looking at the microbiome of Honduras versus the microbiome of people from Honduras that live in America versus Americans, that would shine a huge light on the whole, you know, loss of microbes around the world, in my opinion. What do you think now that the world's getting more globalized and food is becoming basically westernized everywhere? I mean, you used to not see like Kentucky fried chickens in Africa. Now you're seeing them in Africa. You're starting to see obesity in Africa because yeah. of it. Yeah. Which yeah. you never saw before. Well, um, you know, with globalization comes globesity. So, you know, globesity uh, is a problem. Morozempic is the solution. <laughs> Apparently they're, they're pushing a bunch of new obesity um, drugs. And I don't know if it's, I don't know. They're not studying the microbiome, though. I mean, you're in this. No, space. no, no. But uh, I have a feeling those drugs are going to come out very fast. They are. We're getting two of them in the summer at my site here in Arizona. GLP-1 mm -hmm. and glucagon agonist. Receptor no, but agonist. I, I'm saying they're going to come out fast and then they're going to leave fast. Uh, I see. You know, all these drugs that come out for obesity, you know, remember yeah. all the drugs of the past. They come fast. They... And then they crash fast. Then there's cardiac right. problems. People can't keep up with it. So, you what? know, obesity is not a one pill solution. You know, obesity is a way of, <laughs> or an injection. It's, it's, it's a way of life, right? It's something that you have to start getting into a habit of eating healthy and exercising. There's no shortcuts, but people don't want to do that. Yeah, of course not. Um, all right. I mean, that's good. I can go on forever about what do you think glp1 receptor agonist actually do to the microbiome but i don't know if that's a great study we could do that study I, we should but who's gonna pay for it because like what's the incentive charlie munger said it best if you show me the incentives i'll show you the outcomes so uh, what the incentive is knowledge i'll pay for it knowledge <laughs> 
I know Australia have done a lot of research on the microbiome and they 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 already doing transplants and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I know Australia is very involved in that kind of research. Good. So have them collaborate with me. That'd be great. <laughs> we will. Everybody that so wants we could to be get the a hold lab. of Dr. Hazen. Um, Every time I think about uh, samples, I think about Dr. Hazen. <laughs> that's, that's music to my ears because you just, that's exactly what I want. I want when people flush their stool sample, they think of me. That's the best branding right there. <laughs> On that note, unless anyone else has something else to add, questions, comments. We have a lot of comments in the chat. Ah, didn't see it. Or you can speak if it's easier. Yeah, so we have Guillermo made a comment. Uh, he's um, a Mexican based on Mexico. Then we have Jesse from uh, my knowledge, at least in Cuba, in Cuba, many Cuban physicians went door to door and out into the communities uh, they treat, including rural communities. They have some of the highest vaccination rates in the world. And um, Jose Ramon Cabrera say exactly, and with Cuban vaccines. So they were vaccinated with Cuban vaccines. Uh, Guillermo also add the majority of people in Mexico agree to be vaccinated against COVID every time there, there is evidence of the benefit. And I think that's it. All right, fair enough. Uh, everybody go follow. Dr. Fox, Dr. Valverde, Dr. Hazen, Dr. Al. But I don't think Dr. Al has a website. So just follow us for Dr. Al because he's part of LACR. He has LinkedIn, no? Ah, that's right. LinkedIn. I'll put everyone's yeah. LinkedIn in the. Yeah, and, also, and I'll put Dr. Hazen's Twitter because she's huge on Twitter. Yeah, we have, I mean, every basically half of the audience today are doctors. <laughs> that was great. No more. Yeah. Thank I you, everybody. It, Thank you. Thank and you, if anybody has interest in connecting with anybody, please let me know. Reach out to me. I will be more than happy to connect you. Thank you for the invitation, Dan and Monica, as usual. It yeah, was my thank, pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank for you, time, guys. Dr. Thank you, Dr. Hazen, for your time, too. Thank you, everybody uh, that participated today. Thank you, guys. Let's do.